couple years ago, I was sitting down, uh, taking a break from my job at The Athletic Media Company, and uh, I was drinking a non-alcoholic beer from Athletic Brewing, and I thought, uh, hey, this this could be a partnership because I'm, I'm an ad wizard, and so I put those two things together, and Took a couple years, but now I get to read ads for Athletic Brewing and uh, their non-alcoholic beers, and I'm excited about it. And I'm excited about it because I like the product. I like the product for a variety of different reasons. There are times where I'm uh, the designated driver, and that is it's perfect for me. I don't feel like I'm, I'm missing out on a whole lot. There are also times where I'm not the designated driver, but it's going to be a long day of gabbing. And I don't necessarily need to have 10 IPAs in a row. So I will mix in an athletic, non-alcoholic beer. And I I feel like I don't miss a beat. And it allows me to pace myself uh, the way I want to do it. It's perfect for beach days, music festivals, baseball games, camping, late nights. Uh, They have a ton of different varieties. They have uh, Light. They have Upside uh, Dawn Golden. They have Run Wild IPA. They have a Hazy IPA. They have Summer Seasonals. They've got a a Lemon Rattler, Ripe Pursuit. I don't even know what a Rattler is, but now I want to try it. I feel bad that I haven't tried it. So this summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer you need to know, Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use the code T. TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off. It's near beer, non-alcoholic beer, and it tastes... Listen, I grew up with some funky ones. Uh, those didn't taste like beer. This tastes like... This This is good non-alcoholic beer. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello, welcome to the Monday edition of the Phil Hay Show, brought to you by The Athletic, along with The Square Ball. Dan here from The Square Ball, along with Phil Hay from The Athletic, where you can read all Phil's stuff, and there is going to be a lot to read this week with the sacking of Jesse Marsh. Theathletic.com forward slash leads pod for the new year sign up. You and I sat down some hours ago now, Phil, to record a show, the Monday show, Um it was all hideously out of date. I was just finishing up editing it and I was going to um, put it out and lo and behold, Jesse Marsh got fired. Uh, so what we're going to do is have a quick chat about that now and then we will play out all the stuff that we recorded earlier so you can see how right or wrong we got it um, post-Forest. I can't remember how wrong we got it, um, but I think we were both on the same page in saying that we thought it had reached the end of the line and we thought it was only a matter of time now before they took the, the decision um, I did genuinely wonder this morning whether they might be tempted to leave him in place for the Man United games, given that the, the odds on taking much from those two matches um, was low. But I, I do I do think this is the sensible decision. I think it's the fairest decision as well. Uh, the, I guess the, the overriding image of, of yesterday's game at Nottingham Forest was supporters in the way and fighting with each other. Um, as the game went on and a few people who were in there said to me it was incredibly toxic and it was as negative as they can remember the away end being um, in a long time and on that basis I think leaving Marsh in place for Old Trafford and then Manchester United at home on Sunday um, at Ellen Road was no good for anybody least of all him and I think you run the risk of dangling a head coach who whose time is up and who you know that you're getting rid of um, and is really just out there for, for the Wolves you know and um, 
I think from a tactical point of view and you know the perspective of where Leeds have been going, it's the right decision. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I think there are a fair number of us who felt that it's been going this way for a long time. Um, even to go back to the the podcast we did after the defeat to Leicester, where it, where you know the dissent really bubbled up um, dramatically that evening. Uh, it it didn't seem like there was going to be any way back from that, barring some kind of dramatic turnaround that that delivered some sensational form. And I just don't think we've ever really had the the sense that sensational form was coming from this Leeds team. The the limitations have been problematic. Um, The the team ultimately have not been ruthless enough. They haven't delivered often enough. uh, And you get to a stage which we've absolutely reached yesterday where sitting and saying we're playing well, but we're not getting results is is no good for anybody. They've looked more and more like a team who are heading in into trouble um, and might well be heading down. Bit of a strange day how this one's panned out today, isn't it? In that um, we recorded and just to say, as we were editing it, uh, getting ready to put it out, it all kind of felt um, like something was offing, didn't it? It broke on Twitter. So so what happened today from us finishing recording it about was what, one o'clock or something we finished? Um, and then yeah. we're now at it's quarter to six as we record this. So uh, what, what happened in between times for you? Well, his, his future, the, the first time his future was sort of actively discussed was after the defeat to Aston Villa. Uh, back in the middle of January. Again, dissent from the away end that evening. But the decision was made to keep him and, and Victor Otto in particular, very supportive of Marsh and very determined to try and, and make this work. And you have to say that since then, it, it's been kind of full-on support for Marsh via transfers and via the appointment of Chris Mar- uh, Chris Armas as his, his new assistant. I mean, funnily enough, this morning I was writing a piece about Armas, which will run at some point. He is still there at the moment. A lot of the staff have left Leeds, Rennie Maric among them, and the other assistant who who Marsh brought in last summer. Armas still there for now, but I think it remains to be seen whether or not um, he sticks around too much longer. But, you know, he's been in the building for all of about 10 days. Um, and I was putting together a piece on this bizarre scenario where it looks as if there's a likelihood that he'll be out the door before he's really had much chance to say anything other than hello. Um, and I was also working as well on the... the, the for want of a better phrase, an obit for Marsh, you know, as we, as we call it in the business, you know, a piece on his dismissal and, and what's happened, that will be online before long and may well be online by the time people are listening to this. But the club, you know, were discussing it last night, convened this morning, decision was taken. Marsh had gone to Thorpe Arch, he was into work as usual, but um, Angus Kinnear and Victor Otter up to see him and, and to tell him um, the news that, that he was being dismissed. And I, I don't think it will have come as a surprise at all. I mean, he, he looked like, most under pressure coaches looked yesterday after the game at Forest. He looked fairly beaten. He looked a bit devoid of of ways to explain what was going on. And you know, when when I sort of said to him, "This is you know, this has got to turn around quickly if it's going to turn around at all," he said, "It's it's got to turn around on Wednesday." And I I almost felt even in him saying that, you wondered whether he really thought there was much chance of him making that far. Um, it it, it reached the end of the line. I think that's clear. And to touch on the statement that came out this afternoon on the uh, the official site, Leeds United can confirm head coach Jesse Marsh has been relieved of his duties. Jesse joined the club in February 2022 and was instrumental in keeping the club in the Premier League on the final day of last season. Rene Maric, Cameron Toshak and Pierre Barrio will also leave the club. We would like to thank Jesse and his backroom staff for their efforts and wish them well for the future. The process of appointing a new head coach is underway and we will continue to keep supporters up to date throughout the coming days. Yes, I, I think one of the aspects that I'd pick out of that is, you know, thanking him for his work. I, I've sort of said this in the, the longer piece that we've done on Marsh. 
I never doubted at all that he wanted it to work here. I never doubted that he was very serious about the job and actually that he was very proud to take the job on. But it didn't ever truly click. And, you know, I thinking about it this morning as I was jotting down some ideas, you, you just came to realise that if, you know, the, the if the attitude was that at, at this rough stage of last season, Bielsa was taking leads down, then the same standards and the same um, facts had to be applied to Marsh. You know, it didn't look any different. And I think as of yesterday, Leeds were in danger of straying into territory where they were given more leeway to Marsh than they were given to the most successful head coach in, in the past 30 years. And, you know, it, it, it had to be done. I, I You know, the, the players will be at a very low ebb at the moment because the results are not favourable. And when they're not favourable, it does no no good for, for morale. Um so, whereas on on the one hand, you know, I, I absolutely understand this decision and think it's um, the right move. I don't think this is a case of a head coach who didn't try hard enough or didn't, you know, didn't put the time in, didn't commit to the job, didn't didn't work hard enough. I think he wanted it to work, but I think I'll always have doubts about whether the precise style and system that he was going for was likely to work at this level or, or in the Premier League specifically. It never quite seemed to gel um, with the fans, does it? And, and that's not to place any no. blame on the fans. You know, it's not a, the fans is not a single entity, but you do get a, a good sense of, of what the Ellen Road crowd uh, and the away end thinks of, of things, don't you? Uh, when they're watching it, then they're they're vocal if they need to be. Well, look, I mean, replacing Marcelo Bielsa was always going to be hugely challenging, and I've said this a few times, but it's always struck you as you know being next but one after. Bielsa might be better than being the man who follows him directly. And I do think for a time, you know, some of the criticism and, and some of the, the scrutiny of Marsh was born of the fact that people were frustrated by the loss of Bielsa and they did admire him so much and they, they liked his football so much. But I think latterly, more and more, people have focused on what they're seeing with the naked eye. It's been the football and the performances and the results which have, have drawn the criticism of him. And I think more and more... He's found it hard to argue and, and hasn't actually in the last couple of weeks really tried to argue that the criticism's unfair. I think he totally understands where it's coming from and he would he started to say, you know, more and more often, I feel like I should be doing better. You know, I feel like I, I should be the, the the results should be improving, that, that we shouldn't be in the position we are. Um but it never happened. And and I think you're right. I, I just don't think enough people were ever convinced at Leeds. I don't think the crowd were ever totally sold on Marsh's head coach. I'm not sure, and you know, this is a question for higher up the chain, but I'm not sure everybody, anybody properly understood why it was that Leeds went headlong for Marsh after Bielsa. You know, it wasn't as if it was a marriage of convenience. It wasn't as if circumstances were dictating it in the sense that you needed a firefighter there or then. You know, the, the plan was for Marsh to come in in the summer if Bielsa had remained until that long. You know, it was very much an arrangement that seemed to suit everybody. Um, and and that both sides thought would work for them, uh, but in the end, it it hasn't been anywhere near as productive as it ought to be. And in a lot of respects, the club are in the same position that they were in this time last year. The difference being that they do undoubtedly have a stronger squad. But to be completely honest, I think that's that stronger squad is born out of investment rather than you know widespread development from a coaching point of view. Um, I just don't think that's happened to the same degree that we saw under Bielsa initially. And there will be, or maybe, criticisms that are valid to be to be placed over the timing of this, Phil. Um, which I, I guess we can get into um, later in the week when we see what what unfolds. Um, but what they've done is give themselves enough games now at eighteen um, compared to twelve last season to to turn this around. Admittedly, two of them against Man United in the in the forthcoming week, but it gives them a better chance, doesn't it? And they have to get the the appointment right. 
I think in, people will hear this in the, the podcast that we recorded earlier today, but I think beyond that, there's these two games against Everton and Southampton, which are so important to take advantage of. I mean, those are just fixtures that cannot go wrong um, if Leeds are, are to start climbing out of this. And a result like yesterday's, and I think more to the point, you know, run of form that brought them to to that defeat and and to the, the kind of moment of reckoning after full time, it does it does force you to consider what the most prudent outcome is. You know, do you give Marsh those two games and assume you can get results from them, or do you look at the fact that Leeds have won twice in the league since August, since the penultimate week of August, and conclude that the chances of him actually delivering in in those two matches is fairly small, or, or certainly not guaranteed, and. I do think that the, you know the opportunity to contest them should have passed to somebody else. I think it's the right decision that it has. I mean, they have to nail this appointment. I, I think the way Leeds will look at this is that I would be. I, I don't expect them to go for a firefighter. I just don't think it's in their nature to appoint that anybody like that. I think even with Marsh, the, the onus was on him to keep them up last season, but they wanted him to carry them forward from there, and that's exactly what they'll want again. Somebody who will you know sort this season out and bring it to heel but then somebody who can start to build another some form of project um, that hopefully has more legs in it than Marsh does. But they've got to get it right. They absolutely got to get it right. Um, and I think that you know the realisation has become very harsh that they are in the thick of a, a relegation fight now and they cannot assume that they're going to be good enough to stay up. I rewind 11 months to when Bielsa went and I was just saying this to somebody earlier on, Like my feeling about that was mainly kind of confusion because of the... Um, you know, the heights to which Bielsa had taken us and then it all unraveled so quickly and he went. This, I, I just feel a, a sort of general sense of relief that this has come to an end um, and, and nowhere near the same scale of reaction. And you've got to be careful not reading too much into um, reactions on Twitter because it's not everybody, but that seems to be the consensus as well that this is just probably for the best. I think so. And that comes down in part as well to the connection. It's far easier to break from a head coach and in the way it is with a player as well. Um, if that connection hasn't developed to anything like the level that it did with Bielsa. I mean, Bielsa was unique and the you know the, the strength of that connection was absolutely extreme in a good way. You know, it really is quite rare to see a manager and a crowd develop that level of, of affinity and that will last forever. People in Leeds will talk about Bielsa 20, 30 years' time um, because it, it will, will still resonate then. Then what happened, the stories that you hear about it will interest you. Um so that pattern of ways is is hard to take and, and was clearly very hard for people to take last year. Um, this is different. I think I think most people, if truth be told, will wish Marsh well um, because, you know, there, there were clearly issues with communication and there were clearly, um, he, he clearly found it hard from time to time to get his message across to the public and to express that message in a way that I think people appreciated or could relate to. There was a lot of what was said that, there was kind of open to ridicule, you know, the Mother Teresa stuff, the, the Gandhi stuff and so on. Even the LinkedIn announcement from him a, a month ago, it was sort of like an open goal for jokes about, you know, an under pressure manager about to enter the job market. You know, it's kind of like it was a, a bit a bit too easy that and a bit too too simple for, for people to exploit. And that's what, you know, that's one of the points we've made in the, the longer article about him. But at the same time, I do think that he was genuine in, in wanting it to, to work out. Um, I don't think there was any lack of commitment there. And I think people will, people can probably be rational enough to say, look, this this had to happen. And yes, people have been clamouring for it for a while now. But everybody can agree that he was given, I think, a reasonable length of time for the team to be playing better than this. It wasn't 
flash in the pan. It's been almost a, a full year, you know, and almost a full number of Premier League games as well. Thirty three in the end that he had. Um, it. I, I think this is a. I think this is a reasonable decision. I think it's a fair one. Um, I think that would be quite hard to argue with. And where do you think um, Leeds United will go from here in terms of of not just strategy but but timing as well? Well, I think the likelihood is that we'll have some form of of caretaker team at Old Trafford. I mean, that game is coming around pretty quickly now, and the players will have to prepare. They've been in today, but they have to prepare tomorrow and and then get ready for Wednesday. They still have Armas in the building. Um, they still have Ewan Sharp, who is an analyst who came from Manchester United last summer. He was part of Ralph Rannick's team um, in the same way that, that Armas was. And they have under-21s coaches who can um, who can fill the void in the meantime. Um, I suspect that they won't feel the pressure necessarily this week as much as they won't want to just burn these two games because if there are points to be had, then they'll be really, really valuable. But at the same time, you know, the, the odds say that they'll be doing well to get too much from them. I think what they'll 100% want to make sure is that they have somebody in place for the Everton and Southampton games and have a decent amount of build-up time to those so that they can prepare and so they can start to change the squad and change the way the team plays. And, and that is actually going to be very fascinating um, once a new manager gets their hands on the squad to see what they do differently, you know, how extreme the differences are. And I guess more to the point to see whether it works and whether the feeling a lot of us have that this squad is better and should be considerably better than 17th is actually accurate. All right then, Phil, well, we'll pick this one up later on in the week if you fancy. Um, this is just the uh, the shooting from the hip reaction, I guess. And now you get the treat of uh, listening to the show that we recorded at lunchtime today before all this broke, eh? Oh, lucky them. Lucky them. Twice in a day, Dan. When were you last able to say that? There's a really obvious joke there and I'm not going to allow myself to do it. <laughs> so uh, enjoy what's to come and we will speak to you towards the back end of the week. Thanks, Phil. Hey, this is Andrew Schlecht from The Athletic. The NBA Finals begins on June 6th, and we have you covered at The Athletic NBA Show. Join us Monday through Friday to hear voices like Zach Harper, David Aldridge, Marcus Thompson, Dave DeFore, Sam Amick, and many more. We will have instant reaction shows after every Finals game, plus podcasts to take you behind the scenes in between games. Listen to The Athletic NBA Show wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the show. It's brought to you by The Athletic along with The Square Ball. Dan Moylan here from The Square Ball, Phil Hay from The Athletic, and to read Phil's writings, theathletic.com forward slash leads pod for the uh, the New Year's offer. It doesn't feel like New Year anymore, does it, Phil? We are into the thick of it. The January window has closed and, and all is not well at Leeds United off the back of the Nottingham Forest game yesterday. Should, should we timestamp this because you know how things move quickly in football? It's noon on Monday as we record. Yes, it doesn't feel like Christmas, does it? Um, I said to you that good things don't happen at Forest. You said to me that good things might happen at Forest. Who was right? Well, good things did happen at Forest. For Forest. Well, yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Despite them not really being in the game that much and not playing particularly well. I feel like we've seen this dance before many, many times. And it really does seem that this is drawn to, to a conclusion now for Jesse Marsh. Um like you said, it's it's midday. As of an hour ago, there'd been no decision in terms of sacking him um, or replacing him, uh, and you know still seems to be very much under discussion. But it's incredibly difficult to see a way out of this for him. I, I to be quite honest, have felt like that since the the Leicester game back in October. You'll remember asking me after that game, do, do you see a way back for him from this? You know, do you, do you think he can recover? And I said, in all honesty, no, I don't because. 
losing the away end in the way that he seemed to that night, it did happen very quickly. You know, it seemed to happen in the blink of an eye on that evening, just a, this massive loss of patience, which I would say had been building through poor results and performances and everything else. But it was like, the you know, the, the fuse getting lit that evening. You need to do something pretty spectacular to to get a sceptical crowd, and particularly the away crowd, back on the side. And you only have to look at the the videos of the fighting in the away end at Forest yesterday and to, to see and hear some of the dissent, to know that this is only getting worse and, and is only getting more poisonous. And you only have to look at Marsh himself in the press conference afterwards to realise that he knows it too. I mean, he, he has for a few weeks now been drumming this line of we're improving, we're getting better, we feel like it's going to click, you know, we can feel momentum and impetus building. But he's now at the stage where he can't deny that those are meaningless comments when set against results that that continually disappoint. And the stats are incredibly damning. You know, two wins since the middle of, two league wins since the middle of August, 11 points gained since that time. And even though yesterday reminded me a lot of the defeat at Aston Villa, in that Forrest had hardly anything in the first half, Leeds had most of the chances Forrest were utterly ruthless with the one chance that did come their way. And you know, even Steve Cooper said afterwards, we didn't really play well enough to, to merit that result, especially not in, in the first half. It's another game that, that nothing has come from. And, and as you pick through the results, you know, from August onwards, there've been too many games that haven't delivered. And okay, you know, there are games in which you play well, but tied up with the games in which you haven't played well, in which the performances have been poor, uh, with no results coming, it amounts to a really, really worrying league position. And, you know, Marsh said a couple of weeks back he didn't think this is a relegation fight. It, it absolutely is a relegation fight. You know, it's that old thing of if it looks like it and sounds like it and smells like it, then it probably is. And, you know, the, the lesson of last season was that if that's what it looks like, then you should be honest enough to accept it. And I do feel like the club are going to have to front up to that now. I think yesterday, and I said this on our post-match show, the match ball, yesterday was the point at which I flipped over into thinking this is only going one way and this is heading downwards if this persists. I mean, the, the best case scenario for Marsh now, and I, I realised this this morning, having slept on it, the best case scenario is that we limp over the line towards the back end of the season, much as we did at the back end of last season. And have we gone anywhere in a year? It doesn't feel like it to me. No, I don't think so either. And and or not gone not gone far enough. I, I think the squad has. I think the, the personnel and, and the makeup of the squad is better without any question than it was a year ago. It's not perfect. And and we, we were talking about this previously last week after the window closed. You know, left back as an example, still a problem. I didn't think Strike had a good game yesterday. I thought while the first booking for him was harsh, to say the least, I thought he was lucky not to get a second uh, in the second half just before he was substituted, but that still, you know, is, is an area where you don't feel like you've got the right peg in the right hole. But you come to points of reckoning where you have to make serious decisions about key things that are ahead of you. The, the two games against Manchester United, I'm not sure anybody in these circumstances will be expecting much to, to come back from either of those, particularly the trip to Old Trafford on Wednesday. But on the other side of that, you've got Everton and you've got Southampton, which are absolutely monumental fixtures. The club have to think very seriously about how it is that they make the best of those games, how, what it is that they have to do to make sure that they get the points from those two fixtures. Because if they do get a good return from them, then the league position will change quite, you know, quite significantly. If they don't, then they are absolutely in it. Uh, and I think even the club would accept that that we are beyond the point now of being able to say it's too early in the season to be talking about 
relegation because let's not forget that this is not far off exactly the point at which they dispensed with um, Marcelo Bielsa last year. Yeah, I think from a, a fan's perspective, Phil, the was it a building of momentum or did Marsh just tell us it was a building of momentum? Whatever it was, we'd seen a couple of brighter performances in recent weeks and that added in with the activity in the transfer market. It renewed a little bit of optimism, didn't it? But to me, it felt like looking at that game at Forest yesterday, nothing has changed, particularly in that second half. And we, I think we have to acknowledge that the first half was a dominant lead side, wasn't it? But it's the same old story of not taking chances and then when the game starts to get away from them, there's just no answer. There's no reply to to what the opposition's doing. And it kind of just, it just, it all fell away, didn't it? The, the, the notion that the transfer windows made a huge, significant difference or we'd see a new Leeds United take into the pitch because we haven't. But that was the point that we made last week um, after Marsh's press conference was we said that, you know, we talked about Forest being a particularly big game and, and a lot hanging on it because that was going to be the demonstration of whether the impetus was there and whether, you know, the window had made the immediate difference, not to the squad in, in the longer term necessarily, because I still think they recruited well last month, but whether it had made a, an immediate difference to the Marsh project, you know, Marsh's tactical system. You know, as I said in my report this morning, you were being told that training was better and the energy was better and the mood was better and kind of life was better. But all all those things, they, are, they're abstract things though, aren't they, Phil? Of course they are. So the obvious reply to that is, okay, we'll prove it. You know, go to Forest, win the game, go to Forest, deliver. And actually, they should have been ahead at halftime. I think they should have won the game. They should certainly have taken something from it. But you cannot get stuck in a cycle of saying time and again, we should have had more from that when you're not picking up enough results. You know, it starts to sound a little bit dangerously like a club or a manager saying we're too good to go down. We're better than this and we will be better than this. But at some point it has to happen. And it, and I think for Leeds, it, it has to happen extremely quickly. And it's it's very hard not to have an eye focused on the Everton and Southampton games because one glance at the table tells you how, how critical they are and, and tells you that they just can't afford to go wrong. Running out of games, aren't we, is the upshot of all this. We are running out of games rapidly. Well, the point last season, the end of February, was with 12 games to go, is Bielsa going to keep the club up? And the decision in the boardroom was, no, he's not. You know, it's it's not working this. They're conceding too many goals. They no longer had confidence or faith in him. So they they made the change. And I feel like we're in, you know, th that same discussion has to be going on with Marsh. You know, I was looking through the numbers today. I think he's had 32 games in charge. It's a, a win ratio for him or a win percentage of 25, which is, is very, very low. And when you factor in the four games as well that they've either won in the last minute, like Liverpool or in injury time, it gives you the you know some indication of how few truly comprehensive victories they've they've had on his watch, and they're going at a point a game which just about keeps you up, but barely. And I think more to the point is not significantly better than what was happening last season, and and left them in so much peril as as we got to the you know the, the last stretch and the running. So it comes down to conviction, doesn't it? And you can see from really from Leicester onwards that the club have tried to show as much conviction or confidence in, in Marsh as possible. There was the investment in January, clearly, that there was the resistance to outside pressure um, about what they should do with Marsh. But also, and I do think this was pretty significant, there was the appointment of Chris Armas as, as assistant, you know, an additional assistant alongside Rennie Marich less than two weeks ago. You know, he's very much Marsh's man, 100%. They go back a, a long, long way. And it feels as if at, at every turn it has been a case of okay, we're we're going to support this, we're going to stick with it, we're going to we're going to back it. But you cannot get trapped 
in having conviction in something which which isn't working. Um, and you know, I, I wouldn't say Marsh was going as far as admitting defeat yesterday in, in the press conference, but you could tell that he knew that time was incredibly short, and you could tell that he he knew himself and was not going to try and deny that this can't go on forever. And the idea that we're still trying to address stress one year on from him coming in and acknowledging that the place was filled with stress. That is an admission from Marsh himself that the method is not working. I think it is. I remember his first home game when Bielsa was flying out of England back to, to South America and there were the protests against Radrizani and Villa wiped the floor with Leeds really comfortably. And it was specifically what he addressed afterwards. You know, with, with the, the stress on the players is affecting them adversely. You know, they're not coping with it. It's not good for them. We need to get out of that. And and if you if you go through Marsh's comments at, at staggered intervals from that point onwards, he's revisited the topic of stress more than once. You know, it's come up on occasions where things are, are not going well. And and that again was what was being spoken about after um, the Forest defeat yesterday was the stress that everybody's under. And, you know, it's it's not actually, it's not in any way pleasant to watch. It's not pleasant to watch the, the stress that's on Marsh, the, the way in which, you know, the players must be feeling it in the absence of results. It's not pleasant to watch the discontent um, in the away end at all, but it doesn't feel as if it's it's getting better. I was I was talking in report this morning about the fact that they've been watching the redeemed team at Leeds. The squad have been. Um, it's the the documentary on Netflix about the US basketball team in two thousand and eight. And to cut a long story short, they got turned over by Argentina in 2004, um, came home with the bronze medal, which was, you know, by American standards, a, a bit of a disgrace. Sorted themselves out, got the gold medal in 2008, and have, have retained the gold medal ever since. There is a bit of a need of redemption at Leeds from last season, but also from the first half of this season gone. And it doesn't feel like it's coming. It just doesn't. One of the accusations levelled towards Marsh is that he's out of his depth, Phil. Do you think that's fair? I think I'd, I'd always be careful in saying that it would be totally wrong to say that he has no coaching ability. There clearly is ability there and you've seen it in in what he's done at New York Red Bulls and and also at Salzburg. But when you get into discussions about the Premier League, you're talking about give or take the best division in the world. And it's not the case that the best 20 coaches in the world are going to be in this league because you have Serie A and you have La Liga and you have the uh, the Bundesliga and, and everything else. But give or take, it should be a crop of, you know, your leading managers, your, your most, I guess, capable um, coaches. And I don't think over the past year, I've seen enough to suggest that that, that is Marsh. As I say, he, he clearly did well at, in New York. He clearly did well at Salzburg. The thing about Leipzig and it going wrong from there, and, and you know, there, there were difficult circumstances for him. And, and people shouldn't forget this, that his wife was suffering from breast cancer. The, the COVID at the time was, was making things complicated. But with Leipzig, because it was his first really big job, you couldn't be sure on the basis of that sample alone if it was indicative of a trend or if it was just a job that, that hadn't worked out. But I think that combined with Leeds and, and what's happened here begs the question more and more of, of how suited he is to this level of job. And what of, of Victor Orta's role in this? Because I mean, I tend to agree with you that I think the the achievements that he's had in his career should not be belittled, but also they should be put in a wider context that you know he had the best team in Austria, so maybe you can get away with the style of football there. You know, winning the league with Erling Haaland up front, when you see what he's doing this season, does put that into context, doesn't it? And now when you're, you're at a team that's, that's struggling and it looks very, very, very different. Everybody has different levels of ability, don't they? So it's actually no different to players who can't 
quite do it in the Premier League or haven't been able to do it in the Premier League, but actually are really proficient in the Championship, do extremely well in the Championship. Everybody's got their level, don't they? Same with all of us. You know, it's the, exactly the same thing in, in the way that it's not that difficult to go out and find considerably better writers or, or journalists than me. Like It's just the way of the world. I think the one thing about this appointment that we still need, I think, as we go on, is an actual explanation for why it was Marsh more than anybody else that they were so set on going for after Bielsa. I know there was the talk about a bit of a natural transition. I know there was the talk about it being almost as if it, it was somebody that Bielsa passed the baton to and it would be relatively seamless. I think it's been quite the opposite. And I don't see a lot in Marsh's football, apart from the distance covered, I don't see a lot that relates to Bielsa's football. And I think, you know, the verdict on this will be over the course of Marsh's reign, how has it gone? And at this point, I think it would be very, very tough for anybody at the club to say that it's gone as well as they wanted it to. But just, just to return to the point about Orta at the start of that question, Phil, what, what do you think of, of his role in this? Because as we understand it, Jesse Marsh, very much his man. Yeah, no, his choice, absolutely. So as I say, you, you, you're looking for an explanation as to why why that has happened. Because in a lot of ways, it's been as unsuccessful to this point as Bielsa was successful in the first three years. You know, that was a kind of choice which worked to an extremely good level. This has been a choice which just hasn't hasn't clicked and kind of hasn't felt like it's it's going to click. Um, and I do, like I said, I, I do feel sorry for Marsh. I know how it goes when managers hit difficult times. People get irate, people get frustrated, people just want to see them get the chop. But a little bit like players when it's going badly wrong, it must be fairly horrible circumstances to be stuck in the middle of. Yeah, very much so. There is a, there's a human in the middle of all this, isn't there? We have, you, we have you, to remember you're that. Exposed, aren't you? you're, you're massively, massively exposed. And in no way, you know, I, I can't really think of any managers who I saw in a job that I didn't think that they genuinely wanted to try and make it work. And I, actually, I do think that is the case with Marsh. I think he's desperate for this to go well. I think he's desperate for it, you know, to be seen to, to go well. But to this point, it just hasn't. Because we never hear from anybody else, do we? We don't hear from owners, or very rarely. Like, you know, you, you and uh, David Onstein spoke to Andre Radrazani at the start of the season when he declared that uh, relegation was impossible. And we get Angus Kinnear's programme notes, but we don't hear from Victor Orta, do we? We, we get Jesse Marsh front and centre having to deal with all the, the Premier League press duties that are, they're contractually obliged to do them all. He's the only one who speaks, isn't he? Whereas perhaps we need to hear something from the, the higher ups. Yeah, it's not unusual that though. If you look across the Premier League, that there aren't clubs that regular, you know, your, your bigger clubs regularly roll out um, chief executives, owners, um, directors of football to speak. It does tend to be as as you see a lot of the time with City and, and Guardiola. Uh, it does tend to be a head coach who's who's front and centre. But I think you have moments where you need somebody else to to provide a bit of clarity and to and to paint a picture. I feel like Jack Harrison and the Leicester City scenario was one of those. You know, we're really the questions needed to go above Marsh. And I felt like Marsh dealt as well as he could have done with them last week. And likewise, you know, if it does come to the point where Marsh isn't able to to get on top of this and to turn it around and, and to reassert himself, then you will be looking for an explanation as to why him, why didn't it work? What went wrong? Was it a, a mistake? And there are only a, a select number of people who can answer that properly. And to some of the details then in the game yesterday against Forrest that we witnessed that perhaps are, are sort of guiding our opinions on all these issues, Phil. And there's one in particular. I've kind of crystallised the game almost into that moment on the far side, over in the corner by the Leeds fans when everybody was bunched over in that corner. The ball was pinging around. There were loads of throw-ins. 
And that was kind of the moment where I properly engaged with the game in the second half because I, I mentally switched off for a lot of it because it was just boring. But I looked at that and I thought, this is just not working. Use the space over here. Try and get the work the ball out of there and pass it to Somerville on this side, maybe Sinistera. Use the space that's available there. But we know that's not one of the uh, the themes of of this you know narrow minimum width football. Yeah, the, the left side of the pitch does seem to be quite magnetic for Leeds. And we were saying that after the Brentford game, that it, particularly in the first half, it felt as if everything was getting sucked over there without going massively wide. It was just as if that was where Leeds were congregating when they were in possession or, or trying to win the ball back. I think more than that, what sticks in my head is Cooper's decision, Steve Cooper's decision at half time to bring on Aurier and, you know, directly confront Willie Nonto. He'd chosen Nico Williams uh, in his starting lineup, and Paul Taylor, our Nottingham Forest reporter, had, had said to me beforehand, "What you know? What is the deal with Leeds on the left? Because Williams is a pretty attacking choice, and you know you'll have him going down that side. You'll have Brennan Johnson kind of drifting out, trying to attack there. They, they must think that they can get some joy there." And I said, "Well, you know, obviously the, there is the issue with with left back, and that was where Johnson was fouled for the free kick that led to the goal, which he obviously scored. Didn't deliver the free kick himself." But Williams is quite a bold choice. It has to be said that even though it did create that chance, it didn't particularly work for them, did it? I mean, they were under the caution the first half. They, they didn't have a lot of the ball. They couldn't really play out at all or, or, or create any any lasting dominance. And Nonto, more and more as the first half went on, was causing real problems in, in that area. Set up that great chance for um, for Sinistera, which Sinistera should have, should have scored. But Cooper's decision to move Williams, go to a 4-4-2, but specifically to say to Aurier, you know, get stuck into Nonto, get your claws into him, confront him, deal with him, put pressure on him, was, I almost felt like, a deliberate attempt to address and to negate and stifle the one area where Cooper thought Leeds were dangerous. And it feels to me like there's more responsibility on Nonto than there should be. He's been fantastic since he's come in. He's been so impressive. And I thought he was again yesterday, really mature. And I don't blame him for what was happening in the second half. I think it just became harder and harder for him to have any chance of influencing things because he had Aurier. Aurier got his claws into him and was right in his face, you know, right, right the way through. And it was in the end, it was a really clever switch from Cooper, but not one that, that Marsh was particularly able to, react to and neither were the the players on the pitch Uh, so you know I I think that gives you some idea I don't think I'm the only person to have reflected on this some idea of I guess the weight of pressure to deliver on one person and also a you know young teenager at that in Nonto he's very mature guy mature in the the way that he plays but I think I think too much is is being asked of him and I wonder if that does relate to the system yeah it seems like he's got the uh the chops to deal with the responsibility does not so he seems to have a very wise head on his shoulders for a teenager but if he's the only one that we're using it doesn't say a right lot for the for the tactics overall does it it feels like you know being at school and giving it to the the kid who can just pick it up and run past everyone playground vibes and then i'm saying just go back to the other side as well you got sinistera there he wasn't or he didn't seem to be able to be able to drift wide and then run in from wide which is what nonto was trying to do so it was all kind yeah. of shifted over to the left. And you can look at like, the heat maps and the pass maps and stuff like that, can't you? That lend a little bit of weight to that. And and it's just it's just crying out for that. So somebody just stretch the play a little bit and, and try and use the space that we've got because we've clearly got very talented players in the squad. It, it feels like we can all see it, but this system, Marsh is so wedded to this system, it, it feels like the, just, the flexibility is just not there to say, let's try do, doing something else then to try and get this game won. Stretch the play. 
I, I think it, it feels in, in you know, two totally different approaches and systems, but it feels a little bit like the, the last days of Bielsa when defensively and man to man, you you were looking at it and thinking, like surely a tweak, a tweak to this, even though you knew he was never going to do it. And, you know, that was kind of one of his defining traits was that he would stick to it to the end, Bielsa. But, you know, you thought if if, if you tweak this slightly, perhaps it would help with um, the, the defensive structure. I often feel like the discussions we have on here about the tactics and the setup are almost on repeat. It's, you know, the same the same issues are still there, the same issues that were there really right right back at the start, almost never never quite been addressed. And and I think what makes it harder and harder for Mars to defend is the fact that the squad has improved. You know, we we ran the article last week at the end of the window about the comparison between the squad at the end of last season and the end of this transfer window that's just gone. And the difference is huge. You know, the the far more um, in the way of attacking resources. I think there's more experience through the team without it being vastly experienced. You know, they are still recruiting in a fairly young section of of the market. Um, but you know, people who think that this squad should be doing more, I totally agree with. And actually, you can hear that in Marsh's comments as well. Even he is kind of saying, you know, this this is not this is not good enough. And the thing is with Bielsa, whose mantra was "Do Plan A better if Plan A is not working." is it did work for three years consistently. And it, it did stop working, didn't it? It broke down towards the end, which ultimately cost him his job. He stuck to it. The difference here is that it feels like this has never worked. Uh, that, with, with exceptions, you know, with exceptions, funnily enough, the first month of the season, Wolves, Southampton, Chelsea, is probably as close as it's come to feeling as if it might be clicking and it might be, be heading somewhere. I know there was that period... Uh, towards the end of last season where they took I think 11 points from five games but even to to run through that you know there was desperate desperate late win against Norwich with that amazing Gellhart goal it was the total scramble that was Wolves away which very much based on uh, or dictated by the sending off of Jimenez when Wolves were 2-0 were up um, and so even that and, and you know at, at that period you had to see it in the context of the fact that Leeds were desperately trying to stay up so it was kind of ridiculous to be critical of any of that. They just needed points on on the board. August, it, there was a bit of flow. They should have won down at Southampton. It was kind of allowed to slip, I think, because substitutions weren't made early enough. But, you know, that should that was there for them. We'd have been nine points from nine. That aside, I don't think it's ever properly got rolling. And I think in talking about the momentum that's building and the impetus that's building, it's been necessary to use a bit of artistic license because you're still talking about fairly basically poor results. I know Marsh was saying we haven't lost a lot of games recently, but the fact is they haven't won many. And if you're not winning games, you're never going to get yourself up the table. What did you make to Patrick Bamford's comments in the post-match interviews, Phil, where he highlighted some uh, some tactical deficiencies or as he saw them in, in his opinion, players not running past him um, when he was being marked by two players. Do you think that's um, implicit criticism of Marsh or reading too much into that? Shall, shall I read them out in case anybody hasn't heard them so that they know what was said? Um, he was asked how how it had gone for him and, and how you know he felt he played. And he said, I felt fine physically. It was just a tough game. I was saying in the changing room then, their centre-backs just literally had me to concentrate on. So we needed more runners running past me to kind of drag them out of position and create a bit more space. Whereas the whole game was literally 2v1, which made it difficult. And unfortunately today, I couldn't find the answers to solve that. Um, I, I know what he means. He, he did seem isolated yesterday. I, I don't think he had an especially good game, and, and there were moments where I think one one situation, particularly in the first half, where where his touch let him down. 
But I think it, it tells you that players are seeing deficiencies in, in the way that they're playing and whether or not that's implicit or, or intended criticism of Marsh. I think it feeds back into exactly what you'd expect, that it's players are never happy when it's going like this. You know, players do not enjoy this. I said that to Marsh yesterday. I said, how, how do you keep the players, I guess, on point or focused? Because they, you know, they must be worried about results. And he said, it's, it's tough. It's difficult. Yeah. Um, because as he said, what do you say to them? You know, you're repeating the messages to them over and over again, and you're saying the same things and you, you're drilling into them the same ideas and the same approach. And players need to see it work eventually. They do. Players need to see it pay off for them. Um, and it hasn't done for, for a long time. I know they've they've had the win over Bournemouth and the win over Liverpool, but those two in, in the space of a week, either side of that, and obviously we've had the World Cup break as well, which left everybody idle for, for a long time. But either side of that, it's been long, long barren spells. I put out a poll on the Square Ball account yesterday. Uh, uh, it was 5.30 UK time. So um, a little while after the game had finished. Just curious to see where the sort of wider fan base is and, and of course we should be aware that it's in no way scientific it was just a, a gen, you know and away fans for example could get involved in this but just to see what the general mood is like with regards to Marsh uh, the question was where are you with this do you think Jesse should stay go or are you undecided and it was 10% stay 75% go and 15% undecided and that's on over 25,500 votes what, what do you make of that Phil? Well it, it seems pretty reflective of of what I'm seeing um, in my mentions and, and notifications. To be fair to Marsh, I think he'd understand that. I think he would understand why, you know, expecting people to have faith or confidence in this in the absence of score lines to make them confident um, is is fairly unrealistic. And that's the sort of thing that, you know, will, will crystallise thinking within Ellen Road. I think as will you know, what was going on in the away end yesterday, I do think that when, you know, when it is starting to get that fractious and, and that volatile, it's impossible to ignore and they're absolutely in, in a corner here. And I guess what they have to decide is what they do and, and when they do it. I mean, I, I, I've never forgotten the fact that, you know, from, from interviewing Radrizani at the start of the season, him saying that the Aston Villa away last, last season was when he started to lose faith in Bielsa, but it was the Manchester United game at home where he decided that he had to sack him and, and he had to make a change. And you'll remember that, Subsequently, Bielsa then took charge of Liverpool away, which Leeds lost 6-0, Spurs at home um, 4-0. And it was hard not to wonder if it, the decision that was taken or the view that was taken was that it was better for an outgoing coach to suffer heavy defeats like that than it was for somebody fresh to the job and supposedly turning things around to start out with you know a real hammering at, at um, Anfield and then another pasting at their home to Spurs. And clearly this week, Manchester United away on Wednesday and then again at home on Sunday it has the potential to inflict quite a lot of pain. I mean, again, the sort of fixtures where if something magical was to happen a little bit like at Anfield, then it, it refreshes everybody or it gives everybody a, a shot in the arm. But Leeds don't look in condition to to take what they need to take from those games. And so you find yourself wondering, you know, if they do decide to do this with Marsh, when is the right time to do it? It's funny, isn't it? I uh, had a conversation with you. We were WhatsApping and I said, I just would not put it past Leeds to to go and win on Wednesday, but you're like, nah, not having that. It just doesn't feel like it, in your opinion. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I mean, they they'll be helped by Robin Koch coming back, which might allow Verber to play at left back, um, which, to my mind, would be would be no bad thing, um, and, and probably needs to be done. But I I think 
it's not been a perfect season for Manchester United, but they've been in very, very good form recently. And I think a lot of what they do and, and the way they play will cause Leeds trouble. Um, I'm thinking particularly of Rashford running in the way that, that he does. Uh, it's a it's an incredibly difficult fixture and it's kind of weird actually because the Liverpool game last season that, that Bielsa lost 6-0 at Anfield, that was rearranged from Christmas and, and you know, kind of compromised him in what was already a really tough week with Man United at home followed by Tottenham at home. You know, dropping Liverpool away in the middle of that was was totally unforgiving, really. Um, and you know, this is the this kind of the same. This is Manchester United game that should have been played back in December has been rearranged and has created this almost like unheard of situation where two league games against that club in particular are being played back to back in the space of five games. And when you're a manager under the cost, it is just not what you want. It's almost like the uh, the 1950s uh, and times before that when Leeds would go to Sunderland on Christmas Day and then play um, the reverse fixture on Boxing Day, things like that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very, very unusual. And there are times when it you know, it promises to be good fun or, or a good experience. I think there are times when the timing is is not great and this is certainly one of the latter. So is that what you feel for uh, for Wednesday then? Because we will reconvene between the uh, the two Man United games uh, to speak on the show towards the back end of the week. Um, you, you're just not feeling this one? It's hard, it's hard to, I think, because again, it, it's a long time now since since they won last in, in the league and the games where you really need to see it happen are as an example, Forest away, you know, that's where if you, they're the teams that you should be able to beat and should be able to get points from again against Manchester United, it becomes more questionable. And I know Leeds have had the result against Chelsea and they've had the result against Liverpool. But I think this season, Manchester United are a better side than, than either of those. Are you feeling any confidence in this fixture? Oh God, no. I don't mean just the, the Moylan, anything can happen. I mean, but this is the, this is the genuinely weird thing about Leeds this season is that, completely counter to any sort of intuition we occasionally have dug these out of us but I don't know this this with Marsh to me now it flipped over into being a terminal thing so I just no I, I don't see it and while I'd never put it you know beyond Leeds because we are the most or one of the most ridiculous football clubs on the planet it, there's enough about Man United and the way that they break at speed which is what they like to do isn't it that gives me cause for concern with the way that we set up um, that said I don't know do you put McKenney in and try and solidify things in midfield against Man United, perhaps? Because um, they're going to be missing. Eriksen's out, isn't he? Casemiro's suspended. So is there an opportunity for Leeds maybe to get a grip on the midfield and, and maybe try and keep it a little bit tighter, you know, go for the 4-3-3? There's a fair point that. And Casemiro, I think, I mean, Eriksen's been good for them, but uh, Casemiro, particularly influential. So he, he'll he definitely be missed. And and I guess that would be, be one way to go with it. I was saying earlier that, you know, the lesson of last season was that if, it looks like it might be a relegation battle. Be honest about the fact that it that it probably is, as opposed to you know, to kind of hoping or or, or praying that that's not what's going to develop. I think the lesson of the weekend just gone was that if you go for long enough without picking up results, other clubs around you inevitably will eventually. And you know, it was it was not a great day Saturday, and um, when it comes to score lines elsewhere. But as soon as you as soon as you're in any way reliant on score lines elsewhere, that is that is when danger rises pretty rapidly. Um, and that's why you that's why you need to win games yourself. Um, yeah, I mean, if, you know, McKinney's in from Juventus, he's Champions League experience. Um, I, I can certainly see the argument for getting three across the midfield and, and having him in there um, alongside Adams and, and Rocker. Um, big decision to make and it will have to work perfectly. Crystal ball time then. How do you see this week panning out? Or dare you say, 
<laughs> oh, crystal balls crystal balls are a nightmare I, these, I think, these will always get you in trouble Phil so yeah, they, they always do they always do I, I think I, I'm finding it and I suspect most people will feel like this I'm finding it very difficult to, to see how Marsh manages to get a grip of this again and manages to avoid what, what feels like it's coming the, the thing that is really hard to guess is is the timing I mean Marsh would ordinarily and, and I would ordinarily do a press conference tomorrow pre Manchester United. Um I think if obviously if that's happening then um you you rightly make the assumption that he's here for um for the game at Old Trafford. But longer term, there's there's a big decision for Leeds to take. And I think you know, to to kind of labour this point again, I think Everton and Southampton are such critical, critical matches that they've they've got to get it right when they decide about how those two are going to be handled. I don't know, from my point of view, just, you know, it's finger in the air time here. If we do lose at Old Trafford and they have decided to make a change, that I wouldn't be surprised to see it happen in the wake of that game, which then takes the heat out of the game at Ellen Road on Sunday to a certain extent, doesn't it? Until you put somebody new in who can then go at the uh, the Everton-Southampton games, because you were talking earlier about, you know, the, the right time to, to make a change. And it feels like that would be the most board-friendly approach anyway. Uh, he also had so much credit in the bank that Ellen Rowe was never ever going to turn on him. That was the thing. Um, and even after that 4-0 defeat to Spurs, there was, a, a, I think, a kind of um, confused atmosphere around the place in, it felt right on the final whistle and, and everybody thinking, you know, this this feels as if it's it's lost its direction. It's it's come apart at the seams. But at the same time, you've got this head coach there that you, you've got so much respect for and has done such good things. Marsh doesn't have the same level of credit in the bank, anything like it. And I've I've got to say that if the board are already minded that they need to make a change, I don't think it's a good decision. I don't think it's particularly fair to force him or to, to expect him to take the home game against Manchester United when things could get very toxic. If they're still supporting him and they still feel like he's the man and they still want to go forward with him, then then that's totally different. Um, but I don't think it would be I don't I don't think it would be a particularly human decision to to say you know it's better that he takes the heat from that. I think it, it gets to the stage where if you've decided, you've decided, and you have to you know you have to push through with that. An interesting week lies ahead, if that's the right word for it, anyway, isn't it? Interesting rest of the season, to be quite honest. You know whether they stick with Marsh, whether they decide to change, whatever they decide to do. The form has got to be better than this um, if they're if they're going to get themselves away from the bottom three and if they're going to going to stay out of trouble. And it feels as if this season has been shaping up. Well, it's shaping up to be a, a repeat of last season in that it could be very very tight. Well, who knows what lies ahead then when we get back together for the presumably it's going to be Friday because we normally get together after the press conference uh, yes. for, the, for the forthcoming game Sunday game this week. So uh, we expect it will probably be one thirty on Friday when the press conference is is held. Who knows? Will be there. We will see. I'll be there and tell you that. Well, nice one, Phil. We look forward to you reporting back on it all then on the Friday edition um, of the show heading into the weekend. Uh, Theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod to check out the New Year's offer to sign up for The Athletic and read what Phil has been writing about at The Phil Hayes Show on Twitter. And we'll speak to you later in the week. The Phil Hayes Show. 